Lord, we approach you. Uh, we've approached you in worship. Lord, we've been able to sing your praises because you are our living hope. Lord, whether or not, whether or not our hearts always agree with what we sing, Lord, it is true. You are the one who conquered sin for us. You are the one who conquered the grave. You are the reason that regardless of the circumstances in our life today, we have reason to hope and to celebrate. Now, Lord, you've given us opportunity to do that today in our time of worship through song. You give us opportunity to do that today as we go to your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to guide us as we go to your word, that you will reveal to us these truths that we know to be true, these truths that we sing, and that you would help us feel it to our very core. Your love, your favor, your hope, and the victory that we have in you. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Now, you guys may take a seat and grab your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke. That's where we'll begin in just a moment, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapters 1 and 2 today. If you, um, if you, if you take notes, this, this would be a day to do that. So I, I'm going to, as we kind of work through some things, I'm going to give some scriptures that you might just jot down and return to later. Um, within these first couple chapters of Luke, I um, kind of gave an introduction last Sunday, but Luke, in these first two chapters, with what you guys often, what, what we're familiar with as the Christmas story, Luke, um, Luke really just, it's, it's another introduction. In chapter 1 and 2, he's going to cover all the themes that we're going to see throughout his gospel. And I'm going to reference some Old Testament passage, passages that we'll just kind of lightly hit on today. Um, I have mentioned that in light of wearing masks and all, I really will try not to go over and so even as we're going to cover kind of quite a bit of material, it'll be in the same amount of time. And uh, I'm just going to refer you to jotting some things down. Um, if, you've, if you got on to the, the blog, which is proclaimingjesusislord.com, um, this week I'm going to start putting up things almost daily, just small kind of thoughts on the passages that we're working through in Luke's gospel. Um, I, I hope that you will read through with us. Today, as I mentioned, we'll cover chapters 1 and 2, and uh, what I'd like to do, if it's possible, is the chapters that we cover here for the week, if you want to kind of work through those chapters, um, that's kind of what I would suggest. So today, we'll kind of cover 1 and 2, and then on your own through the week, I hope that you'll return and work through every verse of those two chapters, and if you want to follow kind of what we're putting online, um, that will be available too. Um, I'd like you to jot down maybe the title today. I, I often don't even mention the title. Sometimes I don't even have a title. Today, it's kind of important concerning the trajectory we're, where we're going. And so the title is simply this, it's not about me. And it's not in relation to anything culturally that's going on. It's just not about me or you. That's the whole, in fact, if you wanted to go home right now, that's kind of where we're going today. That's the whole, that's the whole thing. So it's, it's not about me. And here's what I mean. The book, the book that we love, the Bible, I hope you know this. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's for you and for me, right? But it's not, it's not about you and me. Who's it about? It's about Jesus, right? It is about God and his program we saw last Sunday. Right? We live in a broken world. 
in God's program, we recall last Sunday, it is, it, is, it is working just fine, right? God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life, gave his life on the cross of Calvary for our sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, as we've sung today, ascended to the right hand of the Father where he has all authority in heaven and on earth and continues to work today by his spirit through his church to restore what has been broken by sin. And so the Bible is about God and his program, which is working just fine. Now here's where we kind of focused last time. Does it always feel, does it always feel like it's working just fine? <laughs> it does, it does not doesn't feel like that at all, oftentimes. In fact, I've mentioned this some weeks ago, but I think 75% of the psalms are psalms of lament, psalms that deal with, the, with the, um, our life situation, where we know these things to be true, that God's program's working just fine, but it doesn't feel like it, and something seems wrong. 75% of those psalms, oftentimes, uh, that's not our focus as, as Christians. And so it's, it's just a reminder, this is the... Uh, this is the strange, this, this is our life. <laughs> and what we're going to see today is God's program. It is running just fine, even though it doesn't feel that way sometimes. In fact, it's already been mentioned, but I encourage you, continue to pray for Lynette and her daughter, Brianna. Um, you, know, you know Lynette, she, her income, she, she has her own business. She cleans houses. For the last couple of days, she's not been able to do that. She's been staying in Oklahoma City praying. Play, uh, paying for um, hotel rooms um, and just her, her daughter's stable from what we hear, but the, the accident was terrible and the injuries are significant. Um, life is not fine in, in that sense. Also, Sue, we're going to pray for your daughter as we conclude the service today. Um, Sue's daughter's really been doing some battling on the spiritual level and I just can't imagine having daughters that are going through these things Life is not life is not fine, <laughs> even though God's program is running just fine. And that is the thing for you and I as Christians that give us hope. Luke's going to show us in these two chapters today that God, and this is what gives us hope, he is active in his program to bring deliverance and salvation and hope and peace to those who will respond to him in repentance and faith. One of the ways that Luke does that in these first two chapters is to show us and to make the connection that God's present work, the work that he's doing today, is connected to his past work in Scripture. And so it's one of the reasons I've said today it's not about you, because today we're going to look and learn about Zechariah, that's not you, and Mary, that's not you, and Joseph, and I'll mention Daniel for a second, but Daniel's not me, it's another Daniel. It's not about, it's not about you or me, but our hope is in the God who is active in his program, right? Throughout all of scripture, bringing about the salvation and the hope that we enjoy today in Christ. And so we'll start out with this. Remember, it's not about you, it's for you. God has announced his program to his people through angels. All right, first we're gonna run into Zechariah and Elizabeth in chapter one. Beginning in verse 5, we read this, that in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was what? Elizabeth. 
Verse 6, I'm sorry, as we work through these today, I think I'm going to try to incorporate you guys a lot so that we can stay on track learning about these different people that are important to us in connect, connecting to what God is communicating today. In verse 6, and they were both what? Righteous before God, walking how? Blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But notice in verse 7, but they had no what? Children, no child, because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. In other words, they were they were old. Okay. All right. Can you remember, and we'll start on verse 7, can you remember any other couple in Scripture where one was old, maybe like 100 years old almost, and then they're already answering it, right? So Sarah and Abraham, right? Um, here, right off the bat, remember, we're connecting Luke in these first two chapters. He's showing us that God is active in his program, and he's connecting what God is doing in his, in pre, in his present work to his past work. And here in verse 7, we already should be remembering who? Abraham and Sarah. Here we're reminded that God's people are under, and you might jot this down, the Abrahamic covenant. That's the way of saying that the God's covenant that he made with Abraham. And the passage you might jot down is Genesis 12 and 17. This is where God made a covenant with Abraham and Sarah to give them what? Do you recall? To give them offspring, like how many offspring? countless, right? As many as the stars in heaven, right? And he's not only going to bless them with offspring, but he's going to give what to these offspring? He's going to give, eventually, he's going to direct them to a land, right? That will be an eternal inheritance. And if you have people and you have them on a land, what is that? That's, that's a country or a nation, right? So he's promised to make a nation from Abraham and Sarah, and he's promised to bless that nation and he's promised to use that nation to bless what? All other nations of the world, right? That's the Abrahamic covenant. And so in verses 5 through 6, again, we find out that Zechariah, he's, he's a priest, right? And he's, again, righteous before God, walking blamelessly in his commandments. Again, we should have in mind, we, we see he's serving at the temple. We even see um, what line of priest he comes from. We find that the wife, Elizabeth, is from who? from Aaron. And so we also see already right off the bat, we're reminded that God's people are also under the Mosaic covenant. Now that sounds like an arts and crafts covenant, but that's not, not the case. Mosaic covenant is the covenant that God made through whom? Moses, right? The mediator of this covenant where God rescued his people from where? Egypt, slavery in Egypt. He brought them to Mount Sinai. Exodus 20 is the passage you might jot down for this. And God committed himself, kind of like a marriage ceremony, to his people where he promised to be their God. He promised them to be his people. They committed themselves to him. And God promised to treat his nation as his own treasured possession. That means to care for them, to, to guide them, to do all the things that, that the Lord promised to do for his people, for his nation. And he gave them kind of a ring to signify this covenant. I don't know if that's the best analogy, but stipulations, which were the what? His, his commandments, right? The, the, the law. And so, and he promised if they kept the law that they would be blessed. If they disregarded his law, that they would be what? They'd be cursed, correct. So here we've seen already just Luke, he's reminding us of the nation of Israel, their history, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, 
Uh, both you'll see in verse 11. Um, while Zechariah is serving in the temple, again, both are righteous before the Lord, that they are faithful. In verse 11, while Zechariah is serving in the temple, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing where? On the right side of the altar of incense. I point this out to say he's in the Holy of Holies. Who can go in here? So it's a priest, and then so if someone is in there, it's significant, right? And we do know, he, I mean, he's an angel from the Lord, but he's in the Holy of Holies in verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and, he, and fear fell upon him. In verse 13, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. What do you think they've been praying for? A son, right? Because that's the answer. And you shall call his name, what? John. John the Baptist, of course. Now go to verse 16 and see what John's mission is from the Lord. In verse 16, this is the mission of John the Baptist. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, that's the Lord, that's Jesus, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, um, I wasn't planning on saying anything in this direction, but this brings to mind some of the things that we learned today from Proverbs um, about the way that God has, a wis God has wisdom and he desires his people to walk in it. The Lord, he is, he is working to bring about hope to his people. We see John, you know his story, he will point the way to who? To Jesus, right? The wisdom of God. But John the Baptist will point the way to Jesus. A couple passages you might jot down. Malachi 3, 1, Isaiah 43. Again, Luke is connecting God's present work to his previous work and promises. Now, notice in verse 18 how Zechariah responds to this good news. Would you say, if you're Zechariah and Elizabeth, would you say this is good news? This is, this is good news. I don't know how to feel the way that probably Zechariah and Elizabeth must have felt so many years praying and praying and not receiving. Zechariah, where is he at when the angel visits, visits him? He's in the holy place, right? It is an angel. It's Gabriel. He delivers this wonderful news in verse 18. And Zechariah says to the angel, how shall I what? How shall I know this? Right? For I am what? I'm old and my wife is also old. <laughs> she's, she's advanced in years too, right? Uh, and then, you know, one of the ways that we can respond to the gospel, right? The good news, the fact that God's program is running just fine. One of the ways that we can respond to that is like this, right? It's with doubt. And look at, look at my, and Zechariah, he knows this, the stories, right? Even you, you who know your Bible, you know that it's actually a pattern that people are old, they can't have children, and God supernaturally intervenes in the Old Testament. It's not even just Abraham and Sarah, it's multiple couples. This seems to be how God works. And so Zechariah says, how will I, how can I know this will take place? And just a reminder that you and I, this, this is a way that we can and maybe sometimes often do respond to what we know to be true in relation to the gospel. 
instead of trusting in God's love and his, and his wisdom and his, his power. Now, in verse 18, the, the angel uh, answered him this way, and I, I love the angel's an, an response here, I am Gabriel. So Zechariah says, how can I know this to be true? Gabriel just says, well, I, I am Gabriel. Again, Gabriel shows up when there's important messages from God to his people. I think Daniel chapter 8 was one of those times. And Gabriel says this, I stand in the presence of God. And by the way, that's what that holy place was, that place where God met with his people. And so it's the meeting between, you know, God's people on earth and his, you know, his work from heaven. He says, I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, in verse 20, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Again, I, I guess I can point to what we learned in Sunday school this morning. Uh, does the Lord love Zechariah? Yes. Is he carrying out his plan through Zechariah? Yes. Is Zechariah a little bit disciplined right here? <laughs> yes, because he did not believe God's word, which will be fulfilled in its time. And what, what a book we have, the Bible. The way that works, you and I know a human book in a way, right? God used human people to write that, his people. But a book that is more than that, it is a divine book given to us by the Holy Spirit. Do you, you and I, know, we know it will be fulfilled in its time. The things that God has promised. And you and I need to be mindful of that um, regardless of what our circumstances at the present moment are like. We're seeing here God, he's announced his program to his people through angels. He's, Luke here is connecting God, God's past work with his present work in verse 26. Um, next, we run here into Mary and Joseph in verse 26. In verse 26, the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named what? Nazareth, kind of a small town, in verse 27, to a virgin betrothed or engaged, that means to a man whose name was what? And he was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So we see here, Joseph, the man who will be the legal adoptive father of Jesus, is a member of what family? David's family. It means he's, he's a descendant of King David. So we've been reminded, Luke has already reminded us of the what was the first covenant we learned? The Abrahamic covenant. And the second was the Mosaic covenant. And this, what do you think this one is? The Davidic covenant, right? The covenant that God made with David. You recall the covenant that God made with David? God promised David that one of his descendants, like David is, David is king, he's the king of God's nation, right? And God promised David that one of his descendants would sit on that throne for how long? Forever was the promise. And that passage, do you recall where it's at, anyone? Second Samuel, well, yeah, a few different places. Second Samuel chapter 7 and Chronicles, anyone? Yes, this is. All right, so um, jot that down if you would, Second Samuel, Samuel chapter 7, and go to verse 31 to see what the descendant's mission will be. This is the promised one to David, his mission detailed just like John the Baptist's mission in verse 31. And behold, you, he's Gabriel speaking to Mary, will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name, what? 
Jesus, which as we mentioned last time, it means like salvation or deliverance in verse 32. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him what? The throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. That's another way of saying Israel forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Again, we, we know how this, is, this works, right? God has a nation, a kingdom, right? Jesus is going to be the king of that kingdom. Is that kingdom, when Jesus is arriving, is it, is it, is it when Jesus is arriving here in Luke, through his, through his miracles and through his ministry? The answer is like, in a, in a way, yeah, it's, it's here, right? He shows up saying the kingdom of heaven is here, it's at hand. We know that he's the king and he's welcoming people into his kingdom, but is the kingdom fully here? No, so it's what we've seen before. It's, it's like an, an already but not yet reality. The kingdom is, is here. Jesus is bringing, he is the king of God's special people, uh, but it is, it is not yet fully arrived, as we will see. That's the Davidic covenant. Um, John points the way to Jesus, but Jesus is the way. Jesus is the salvation of God, as we see. He's the promised blessing from Abraham, he is the one who fulfills the law completely. He is the promised king who will reign eternally. So how does Mary respond to the news? Look at verse 34. In verse 34, Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now notice there's, there's something different in the way that Mary responded from the way that Zechariah responded. Do you remember how Zechariah responded? How can I know? Mary's question is, well, how can this be? Because, you know, normally the way this works is different. I'm a virgin, Mary says. And so the angel Gabriel in verse 35, he answers her and he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, she has conceived a son. This is the, uh, and is in the sixth month with her who was called barren. For in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. I mean, that, that should re recall a story too, back when Abraham spoke with Sarah. You remember that uh, when Sarah heard what was going to happen, do you remember what she did first? You remember she laughed? And then God's, God asked a question. He said, we asked two questions two questions. The first one was, why did you laugh? And Sarah's like, well, I didn't laugh. And God was like, yeah, you, you laughed. And then God asked the second question. He said, do you remember? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, what's the answer to that? No. And here it's, it's this in the positive direction. Nothing is impossible with God. And so how does Mary respond in verse 38? Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Notice this. This is a good example for you and I. Let it be to me according to what? Your word. Right? And the angel left her. So another way to respond to the Lord, to the gospel, to the fact that God's program is running just fine, that he is active in his program to restore what has been broken, to redeem or rescue or to give hope to any who will repent and trust in him. Another way to respond than doubt is by what? By faith. By trusting that what God has promised, he will perform or he will do. Romans chapter 4 comes to mind here. 
uh, focusing on Abraham and Sarah's faith. When God spoke to them, again, they were not perfect people. Like They stumbled around, uh, sometimes a little worse than you and I do, sometimes better. Abraham and Sarah were told in Romans 4, when God promised them what was going to take place, did they consider how old they were, according to Romans 4? They didn't consider their age. Did they consider the fact that Sarah was barren and couldn't have children? What did they consider in Romans 4? They considered the God who was making them the promise. They considered that he was the one giving them his word, and what he was promising, he was able to perform. Now, I know it's complicated today, whether you look on social media or the stuff that's often put on, on TV, um, the ways in which preachers and ministers try to get you and I to believe God for something, sometimes that his word doesn't really assure us of, uh, that's, that's misuse, right? That, that's abuse. But I, I can point you in this direction today. If, if you and I will be students of the word and we will learn what God is doing in his program and how he is active in it from Old Testament and New regardless of what our circumstances say, we can hope in God and his word because what he has promised, he is able to perform. Now, notice how, and I'll just point this out because it's funny, uh, verse 45, at least to me, um, verse 45, when Elizabeth and Mary um, greet each other in verse 45, there's actually something more theologically significant, but this is what I picked out. So in verse 45, when um, in verse 45, we read that uh, Elizabeth greets Mary in this way. She blesses, she says this, and blessed is she, that's Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. So Elizabeth greets Mary by saying, blessed is the one who believed that God would do what he said he would do. That's funny to me because what is Elizabeth's husband not able to do at the moment? She can, he can't talk. He's, he's mute at the moment. And Elizabeth sees that Mary can talk. She thinks, hey, you must have believed the word that came to you from the Lord. I'm sorry, that was only funny to me, but it was funny to me. So blessed, all that is to say, theological point, blessed are those who do believe what the Lord has said, who believe that he can fulfill what he has promised. So God, we see he's, he's announcing his program to his people through angels Next, and kind of last on this subject, we run into some shepherds. In chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. In verse 8, we read this, that in that same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. In verse 10, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Is the world in need of a Savior today? Oh, I think so. One of the things that we could have focused on on these first couple chapters is the way in which with God's announcement, at the beginning, everyone is what? Is terrified and afraid. And yet, it's the constant reminder, do not what? Do not fear. And I do want to make this to plug in at this moment. Just This is, this is really good news. 
And I don't know how often God is attempting to bring people good news and instead people are terrified, but I know that's a thing. This is, this is good news. And the first thing that God is communicating to his people with the announcement of his program is not to be afraid. And again, these are, this is to his people, right? He's promised good news. What kind of news of great joy? Again, is that something we need in our time? I, I think so. And then he says, not only that, but in, in verse 10, he says, this good news of great joy is for who? All people. That really does mean, it does mean all people. And I, I have nothing societal to, to say in any specific direction today, except that the people that you have a hard time liking, this is for them too. And I do want to say this today in the sense of it seems that in, we're in this weird situation where we either want to post stuff or we want to say something just so that we can feel that we are, we're right and we've won and we've made someone else or another group feel stupid because we're, we've arrived at the truth. Can I just remind you that the gospel, and I say this to myself as much as I say this to anyone else, the gospel, this is for all people. And again, in verse 11, for unto you is born this day the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news of great joy is that a Savior has been born for all people. He sits on a throne today, but he is working by his spirit and through his church to communicate that his program is running just fine. He is active in it to restore what has been broken by sin. We've seen God announce his program to his people through angels. We're going to see now God's people praise their God who brings about deliverance. And just a reminder again, it's not, this is not about who. It's not about us, right? That's, that's why we're following these other people, but it is for us, right? And so we can see not only God's goodness and his glory and working through his plan, but we can also see the way in which people respond. And we can join in their praise, right? We're going to see that here starting with Mary. This is her response in chapter 1 and verse 48. First of all, in verse 47, she magnifies or praises the Lord. In verse 48 of chapter 1, she says, she, she says this, For he has looked on the, what? The humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For in verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In verse, go to verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he, he has exalted those of humble estate. Again, so much, so much going on here. And again, I'm just mentioning today that we're just skimming the surface on a lot of this because this is the way Luke is introducing his book. We're going to see these themes, themes work throughout Luke. And they're themes that have been, if you look backward in the Old Testament, they're themes that have been developed there. And so we see God is, he's reaching out to who? What, what type of people? The humble, right? Who's, who's being kind of, um, I have to say this, who's being put down, if you will, those that have been exalted, right? So there's, there's a reversal taking place. You know, we, we know this is a gospel theme. It's an Old Testament theme as well, that God, who does, he, who does he respond to? Who does he welcome in, the humble? Who is God distant from? 
those who exalt themselves. That's right. And here's Mary saying, man, who, who, the mighty one, he has done great things, Mary can say, for, for me. You know, we can, we can acknowledge that too today. We can say the one who is mighty, gloriously on the throne today, the songs that we sang, did you believe those when you're singing this morning? Do you know, we can say the mighty one, he has done great things for me. He has removed my sin. He has welcomed me into fellowship with him and fellowship with his family. In verse 54, connection to the past, he has helped his servant, who? Israel, right? The, his nation, in remembrance of his mercy. How did you do that? In verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham. It's not just name dropping there. It's reminding us of that covenant and God's fulfilling it and to his offspring forever. And just a reminder, Romans 4, we're included in that. We've got spiritual offspring because of our faith in Christ. We're a part of God's kingdom because of our faith in Christ. So God's people were seeing praising their God who brings them deliverance. Now let's go to Zechariah's prophecy and notice his response to God's goodness. This is once he can speak again. In verse 68, he says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. That's a reference to Jesus. That's all we're going to say about it today, but we'll return to that at another time. In verse 7, as he spoke again by the mouth of who? His holy prophets from of old. Again, here we're, we're reminded of, I would suggest, another covenant. You remember the covenants? The Abrahamic covenant, Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenant. What, what covenant are some of the prophets like Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31? They point to a new covenant, right? A hope of a time where, where God will restore the, his nation that he disciplined because of their disobedience and unfaithfulness. And he will restore them by forgiving them of their sin. That's what the new covenant promises. The forgiveness of sin, a gifting of his Holy Spirit, and empowering of his people, members of his kingdom, to walk in his ways and his instruction. His law written on our hearts and on our minds. So in verse 70, he says this, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, in verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. And again, we're just skimming the surface today, okay? But we know, man, there's so much. Just spiritually, we know this has some application spiritually. We can say it this way, as Jesus brought about his kingdom, right? God's kingdom through Jesus is here, but it is not yet fully arrived. So there are some spiritual enemies that we had, most significant enemies that have been defeated. What are those enemies? Sin and death, right? There will later, later be a restoration, of course, of all things, but you and I, we can rejoice, we can celebrate, we can respond in the way that Zechariah is here too, just celebrating the fact that God, he has visited his people. He has brought about redemption, saving us from the fear, we could say, of death and from the penalty and the power of sin. Now go to verse 74. In verse 74, 
We're almost finished here, just a little bit longer. In verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, again, for you and I, think about sin and death, might serve him without fear. Isn't that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That because of our relationship with Christ, because of our faith in him, we are freed to serve God without fear. It's a response for God loved, he loved us first, right? Our response is to serve him today without fear. In verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. God's people we see here praising God who brings them deliverance. Now let's go to see what Simeon declares, his response in chapter 2, verse 30. Simeon responds in this way. He says in verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Remember, he's, he's the one dedicating Jesus. He's in the temple with, with Jesus. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation in relation to the Lord. And he says this, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the what? Gentiles. And what's another way, what's another word that we would use in relation to the Gentiles? Than us, yeah, us and the nations, right? Which is also a promise, a hope of the new covenant, right? That this, that God's plan would extend beyond just Israel to the nations. So a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for glory to your people Israel. And then in verse 37, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, notice this, um, that's Jesus' mother. Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Just think about Jesus' ministry. Does that happen? I think of the many people that Jesus lifted up from obscurity or being outcast. Remember that? I mean, that is specifically in many ways who his ministry is oriented to. And those who were high and exalted, all of a sudden, people did not really care what they had to say. Do you recall that? This child will be appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed. Would the ministry of Jesus be opposed? And is today. In verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I find this interesting. Luke um, is one of the ones who in the... Um, the early parts of his gospel kind of leaves all the negative stuff out. We know that with the arrival of Christ, um, there were some difficult, ugly things that happened with his arrival. This is really the only kind of negative thing that Luke's point, Luke points to um, in, the, in the early narrative here. And he's just reminding us that the path that Jesus is on, I mean, it is glorious, right? Luke is reminding us of the hope that we have in Christ but his path is going to include significant pain, isn't it? Again, this is what we see. We're, we're seeing a, a pattern or a theme that we're going to see goes from the Old Testament throughout Luke's gospel here. He's showing us the humble will be exalted, the exalted will be humbled. This path does involve some pain. And let's take note of just a couple other things um, Right, let's let's do this just very briefly. Turn back to chapter one. I want to take note of just some a couple 
supporting actors, we might say it this way, in God's salvation history, supporting actors, we might say it this way, very, very minor people, almost, uh, almost insignificant in, in, the way that, in the way that I'm meaning it. So in chapter 1, verse 5, who's the king of Judea? Uh, Herod. Um, he was one of the guys that did some bad stuff in opposition to the arrival of the king. You might recall that. Um, did Herod have a lot of power? If you know the story, you kind of know he was kind of a political puppet. Um, he had some power, but really was um, under someone else. Now go to chapter 2 real quick. I promise I do have a purpose to what I'm doing here. Herod, kind of a small actor, very minor part. Chapter 2 and verse 1, who's the guy in charge of the whole Roman Empire? Caesar Augustus, right? In fact, let me see if I, if I read this verse, does it feel like it's like 40 degrees outside? Let's see. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be written. No, it doesn't quite work here in August, does it? <laughs> oh, it's the Christmas story. All right. Again, a major player in God's story or a minor? And like, it's, it's major in this way. We understand that he issued a decree that the world would be registered, right? The Roman Empire. And that is the reason that Mary and Joseph trekked to where? Bethlehem, right? Where Jesus would, would be born as was predicted, prophesied, right? Now, here's my point. Were these people significant people then? Like crazy significant, right? Like whether you liked it or not, Herod was a thing. Whether you liked it or not, Caesar Augustus was the guy in charge. Are they any type of kings today? Who knew about little Jesus born in Bethlehem, right? But is he king today? Yeah. <laughs> and just, just a reminder, and just kind of a foreshadowing, right, of the reversal that will take place with Jesus and God's kingdom. And it reminds us that what we see today, the people that you see all over the place, right, whether it's sports or news or Hollywood or whatever, the people that seem to be on top today, where are they going it's, and I don't mean anything so <laughs> theological. There's going to be a reversal. Those people who matter in the world today, there's coming a great reversal according to God's plan, according to his program that he's active in. He is going to humble those who are exalted, and he is going to lift up those who are humble. I assure you, those who matter in God's kingdom, the world's not even seeing many of them today. Is that correct? We, we know that to be true. Let's finish with this today. Very simple. Um, let's look at some responses of some people that we might have a little more in common today. So again, it's not about us. It's about others. But we can, we can join in their response, their, their example they've left for us. We can come alongside that. And so in chapter 2, verse 17, notice how the shepherds respond to the news. Right, they go and see the, the little boy, and in verse 17, the response to seeing Jesus and his family is this. When they saw it, what did they do? They spread the word. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. Right, so right, God, he's, he's active in his program right, to bring deliverance to those who are 
responding to him with faith and obedience and repentance. Right? If, if we can see that in Jesus, what's one of the things that we can do in following this example in verse 17? We can share what we know with others, right? What about in verse 20? The shepherds who returned, what did they, when they returned, what were they doing? They were glorifying and praising God. Again, notice, for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You know, another way we can respond is by when it's, when it's time to worship, to, to really sing and to glorify God. You know, I, I typically have that melancholy personality that just for some reason, I just feel good about not feeling good. <laughs> I don't know if you know what that's like. But on Sunday mornings, even today, I just, I just sing because I know regardless of how I feel, I know he is deserving of our praise. Regardless of how I feel with circumstances going on, whatever they, whether it might be good or bad, I have reason to celebrate because of the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. And lastly, today in verse 30a, this is concerning Anna. Her story is great. You can read more of that on your own. But in verse 38, she came up at that very hour in the temple, that is, and she began to do what? To give thanks to God, right? She sees, she comes up at the time where Jesus and Mary and Joseph are there. I almost said Martha. It's Jesus and Mary and, and Joseph. And she began to give thanks to God and to do what? And to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And you and I can join in that too. You and I, we can, we can orient our lives because we know his program is working. He's active in it on the throne, working by his Holy Spirit through his church to restore what has been broken, we know we can live a life of gratitude. We can, we can give thanks, and we know we can anticipate the restoration of all things. We can enjoy being a part of his kingdom presently, but we can also, in the times when life is not making sense and it is hurting beyond our ability to take it, we can also long for that restoration that we know Christ is bringing when every tear will be wiped away, when he will restore all things to himself. I'm going to ask you guys to stand and prepare for our time of invitation. Jimmy, you guys can, can come up and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord, we have been reminded this morning that in, in a way it is, it is not about us. Lord, it is, it is about you, Jesus but we know that this is for us. And you've, you've allowed us, and if I can say it this way, Lord, you've given us eyes to see and ears to hear. We understand that you are active in your program. You are working to bring about restoration and healing and hope. Our simple prayer today is that you would help us to understand to one degree that it's not about us, but that this is for us. And we can experience the, the forgiveness, hope, and peace that you offer. We can respond not with doubt, but we can respond with faith, trusting that what you have promised, Jesus, you will perform. And Lord, in times where circumstances are beyond us and we can't make sense of what's going on, Jesus, we trust your heart. It's you who entered into our suffering. It's you who bore what we could not bear so that you could carry us through these times, longing and hoping for and assured of the restoration that you will one day bring. 
We give you praise. We give you thanks. We give you glory. We pray this, Jesus, in your name.